I realized like getting off of social media, like really helped my anxiety levels. So like, even now when I post like something on Instagram, I never look at the comments and stuff. And a lot of times when I post stuff on Twitter, I don't, it's kind of messed up because it should be more of a conversation. I should be able to interact, but I realize it's better for me mentally if I can just like post something and do what I need to do for my brand uh, and just not worry about it. But I, I, I also like when I'm on, if I catch myself on like Instagram or Facebook, just scrolling, I'm like, I feel like I should be getting paid by these companies to like look through <laughs> your, it, you know, your attention. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I don't want to give these companies like my, I don't know, my attention. Like, I feel like that's worth something. And it's it a hundred percent is worth something. I mean, that's literally what advertisers are paying for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I like, that's starting to come to my head when I'm going through this and I'm just like, it's not, it's not good to spend too much time on that, which is pretty obvious. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com and Bill's Manager. As an occasional reminder, I do the intros for this podcast because Bill would rather be spamming Twitch streams with copy pasta than recording these intros. That's okay. Gives me an opportunity to talk to someone besides my cat all day long. Bill's guest this week is Christian Bauhofer, aka Minnesota. He's been a fixture of the West Coast bass scene for a decade and has played festivals all over the country and toured relentlessly in a number of capacities and combinations. Last month, he released Not a Trend with past podcast guest Vector. Let me tell you, podcasting, not a trend. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcatcher they use. It helps people find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. We really appreciate everyone who supports the show that way. Wolg just put out his potent sample pack, Glitch, on the Beleagle Sounds label that's up on Splice now, along with a number of other sample packs from artists in and around the Beleagle Beats roster. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill has added a new micro-tutorial feed, that's the HCA feed, and he's been dumping a lot of cool short videos and other types of hints and tips and tricks in there, so go check it out if you haven't been on the site in a while. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Minnesota. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 yeah i um i was at the show that you played at beta with uh joshua that's right that's right cool man well yeah thanks for uh asking me to do this i'm <clears throat> stoked to talk to you <laughs> of course yeah man it's uh yeah awesome to talk to you too I, I was not aware that you lived in um berkeley which is cool i actually now live um just like an hour north up in petaluma in the north bay oh cool that sounds cool um yeah so should I just start recording audio yeah yeah pretty much it's like uh <clears throat> i figured the like earlier recording starts the more like natural conversation like 
Okay, cool. I should be good to go on my end. Sick. Yeah, I'm also recording. Cool. Cool, man. Well, yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. It's uh, cool to finally chat. We also um, we played a show together in 2012 in a, like a warehouse in Oakland. Really? Oh, man. Yeah, I played like just after you. Do you know what the warehouse was called? <laughs> I don't know. Huh. I don't. It was like my first tour here. I think it was like in, uh, it was either in like February or um, I think it was in like February 2012. Was it at like the Opera House or um, does that sound familiar? It was like a really, really small warehouse. Oh man, I wonder what that was. Dang. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, then I, um, I've seen, I think one or two of your sets. One I remember seeing was I came to Infrasound. We like missed our flight and I missed my actual set. And so I played like, um, ended up playing on one of the side stages and I was just exhausted. So I went back to the car after, and I think you were on the main stage and I was just listening from the car. And it was like, it was like really like blowing me away. Like I was just like, I was like super hungover from <laughs> a festival I was at the weekend before. And I was just like, listening to your set. I'm like, this is like really tripping me out right now. And I was completely sober. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm always a fan of the trippy music for sure. I like um I think I like stuff that's uh that's just produced uh I guess in such a way like enough shit happens fast enough that your brain just like kind of goes like what the fuck and like Yeah, it's you know, it's I try it's it's hard though cuz you can't you also can't do too much. It's like finding like recently i've just been listening to like a ton of like tipper stuff just to reference his tracks and it's just like just the right amount of stuff so you can focus on the individual things but you know not too much going on yeah he kind of perfectly rides the line i feel like between uh like a lot going on and good songwriting like good coherent songwriting <laughs> yeah and then it's just the mixing that's like perfect too because like you know a lot of the elements are you know, it's a lot of great sound design, but maybe not like the hardest stuff to make, but the way he um, just like puts it all together and puts everything into place is just, <laughs> oh, I just yeah, strive to get to that one day, you know? Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about like the arrangement of sounds and stuff, right? Because he gave me um like two or 300 serum presets that he made like, I don't know, a year ago or something. And um. And I've like used a bunch of them in tracks since and never when I use them, do they sound like as clean or as cool as tippers. And, and like, I can hear all the sounds and I can be like, oh yeah, like that's that sound from forward escape. And like, oh, that's that sound from like that song. And, um, and then I listen to like his song and how he used it. And I'm like, oh man, I like, I would never have thought to use that sound that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've just like going through Omnisphere. I've occasionally like come through like sounds he's used and it's fun going through different Omnisphere or even contact stuff and hearing like even like loops I've heard, like I was going through a contact library recently and just found a loop from, um, it's like a Sam Galatri song and there's like the main like, hook <laughs> of the loop, but it just was, or the main hook of the song and just was a loop in this, you know, random contact patch. It's definitely interesting finding that stuff when you're, around yeah i feel like one of the uh like biggest uh i guess like the thing that makes you able to recreate things the most i think is just knowing where the shit came from right like for instance if you listen to a hip-hop track and it has an 808 uh drum like 808 kit being used on it and you're like oh i know that's an 808 kit then it's like you're much like you're pretty likely to be able to recreate that pretty quickly and it's like if you listen to a tipper track 
um, and you're like, oh, I can hear that that's Razor, then like you're much much more likely to hit on exactly how that sound was made a lot quicker than if you're like, fuck, how's he doing this? Maybe it's Harmer, maybe it's Serum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, you know, he he doesn't have like a ton of like info out there. I feel like it's a lot of people like just piecing together information from like old interviews and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's he's one that's kind of a little bit harder to like figure out what he's exactly doing you know there's just less information you know it's a little bit more of like mysterious on that end it seems like yeah there's something cool i think about like i've done the exact opposite with my career i've like just given every bit of information out and like just hold held no secrets i've like talked for fucking millions of hours on this podcast at this point and like like people if they want to know exactly who i am and exactly how i do everything they can figure it out but there's something cool about uh withholding everything and just being so secretive about it um so there's just it, it like kind of creates all this like folklore and shit around the project yeah and do you like do you think that's pretty intentional or do you think that he just is just that's just what he wants <laughs> to do or do you think that's like he's doing it for to like get that you know like i don't know no that's just who dave is i think like I've, I've asked him to come on the podcast a few times and he's just like oh, i don't think i'm interesting enough and i'm like i don't know what you're talking about man like every time i have conversations with him it's like some of the most interesting and insightful conversations i ever have so it's yeah um, <clears throat> yeah he's i think he's just um like shy plus uh introverted plus i don't know just yeah doesn't give a shit about like social media and stuff like that I know. And that works out like perfectly for him. I feel like you, like you can like be on different ends of the spectrum. You can either be like really amazing and good at like producing music. And then you have to worry like less and less about like all the other stuff or you can mm-hmm. be at the other end of the spectrum and be like, not a great producer and not even like a good songwriter making good music, but then you have to be like way better at, you know, social media and all the That's- other stuff that's all assuming that your goal is to like make money out of a music career basically. Right. Yeah. That's, that's true. Like basically. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. If your goal is to just be the best producer you can, then like being at the end of social media is not going to help. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. You can just be a good producer and yeah. Like, I guess like brand wise that works for, I feel like his brand, like it's just like, his best brand is like no brand kind of, you know, obviously there is like, he has, you know, like something there, but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, in regards to like the information that you've like given out, like I definitely, there's, I've been watching your stuff for a while. Like, um, there was like one old video you did on, um, like figuring out delay times. And I used to always go back and reference it. And like, cause I always forget like 60,000. And then you, then you updated it with, by just like, I'm highlighting it in Ableton and looking down yeah. and I, I use that one a ton because it's so helpful. And if I'm like changing, like I have a track that I'm working on that just goes into a random time signature in the middle of track. And it's just easy to like go and see how long it is in Ableton, highlight it and just look down there and see how many milliseconds it is, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Those kind of tricks are neat. Um, I feel like software at this point is starting to uh, become a little bit more self-aware in that like people need these kind of things easily accessible to them and available to them. And you shouldn't have to do these weird, like little things to be able to figure shit out like that. So I think like in live 11 now, it's like writing music is just so easy. Like they have this um thing in live 11 now. It's like the, uh, have you ever used a push? Uh, yeah, I have one that sits right here that I 
used for like almost nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had the same thing. Ableton gave me one for a while and I didn't use it and I gave it back. Yeah, yeah um, nice. But yeah, so there's that function on a way you can say, I want to write stuff in like C major or whatever. And it like lights up all the keys that are in C major or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's the same thing now in Live 11, just inside MIDI clips. Like you can just say, I want everything, like just highlight all the notes that are in like C major and it, and it just highlights them all. It's so sick. How do you access that? You just right click it and... It's just, uh, it's down where like the launch box is for everything else, like where envelope, uh, you know, where, where you would like go to change pitch bend and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, because I've I've been in the beta and I, I guess yeah, I haven't really dived into everything yet. And yeah, I haven't haven't messed with that yet. Yeah, that's like my favorite thing because I like am not good at music theory. So I, I mean I don't think anyone maybe like there's like very few people, right, who probably memorize like every single scale. So um super helpful to just be like, all right, this is in this key. Uh now you just like highlight all the notes, you just like randomly click on that. You can also like hit fold. So it like folds away all the notes that aren't in that scale. And you can literally just like spam the piano roll and it just like comes out with something useful. Yeah, I, I end up like writing most of my stuff in, I don't even know, it's an F or like F minor or something. I don't even know exactly what it is. And it just ends up, most of my stuff ends up being in that and I just transpose it up and down. Um, or I just like mess around and just see what I get. and just experiment um but yeah it would be a little bit easier if i just kind of folded it and just had all those notes ready to select i don't know there's a good reason to write in f and f sharp and stuff like that like anywhere basically from i think d sharp to like g is sort of the, the ideal for subs right so if you ever want to like yeah just i i like when i started producing music like that's i can i can't play piano but that ended up just being i can play like melodies in the, just that scale so just <laughs> writing melodic stuff and it does yeah exactly kind of work out for hopefully getting good response on the um, lower end of things it's pretty funny i never thought about that like maybe most bass music producers are just super good at jamming in f <laughs> and like no other key that's literally what it is for me <laughs> makes sense yeah man going back to like tippa's career do you think um that type of career trajectory would work for anybody else like do you think there's anybody else who could start a career and just be like i'm going to withhold everything just be the best producer i can and like make it to where he's made it in the same amount of time that he has which is i mean at this point like 20 plus years maybe i i, I can't think of any other like do, do can you think of any other like artists obviously like not even electronic artists just like bands or whatever that have done like a similar thing like yeah banksy i guess Oh yeah. 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 Um, I guess in our realm of things, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. I just, I just think that the production is so good and there's just a lot for a lot of different things that a lot of different people can like that, like electronic music that, yeah, I can't really think of anyone else that would have the same, yeah. Kind of effect on people. Yeah, I, I always think that as well. It's like whenever I'm talking to somebody about like, you know, oh, you have to do social media and stuff like that. Like, Tupa didn't do it. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> who else? Man, I wish I'm so bad at it. And I wish I didn't have to. Um, but I feel like I got to It's like, you, I feel like I definitely need to do that to make up for it. And even like, I just feel lucky that I like got into music when I did. I, it's been about like, I've been like touring for about 10 years. Cause I feel like if I would have got into it now, or even like five years ago, the level of production you have to have is like, just like so high, like 
everyone is so good that I just feel like it would have been much harder for me to like, you know, get into it and just, you just have to be much better now in my opinion. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, and I think partially like people like me who gave away all their information to blame for that. Right. It's like the, the level of, um, like the, you're able to just get a, a degree in music production off YouTube really easily now. That's true, but it's also, it's raised everyone's production level. Cause you know, when I started, there wasn't nearly as many resources. And now like I can spend so much time diving into every different uh, aspect of making music and just make my music better. And it's, I think having all these tutorials online are a much better way to learn than I, I never went to like a production school, like icon or something, but I think ha like being able to like choose these videos and learn that way is better than going to a school like that. I don't want to like talk shit on like icon or anything, but uh, sometimes I kind of feel like when I hear someone's music, I can tell if they went to like that school. Cause they all maybe like learn like very similar techniques and they like, you know, for a while just apply those techniques and don't really break those rules. I, I don't know if that's true, but I think, I just think it's better to learn with all these different resources and just pulling what you want from it, you know? Yeah. Also like you, you pick up a lot of idealistic things, I think from instructors. So it's like, if you go to icon and your instructor is like, um, you know, I think proto hype taught there for a while, you know, and he, he probably has like some ideas about like how sound should be made and how things should be mixed and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, if that's like, you know, your mentor is telling you that, then you, you're obviously going to like take that away, um, you know, and, and apply that to your own stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's my, like, big uh, my, one of my my biggest things like recently has been or like i guess the last few years is like trying to like forget about some of these things that i had ingrained in me that i thought were like rules and like not always do those things with just you know filtering out low end or even like keeping you know uh low end and mono and all that stuff now i'm trying to like a little bit like still have those rules lightly but also like be able to not do that 100 percent of the time you know mm. so i had um do you know matt so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I had him on the podcast and he had some interesting stuff to to say about that. So he kind of thinks about music <clears throat> purely from like a contrast perspective. So he's like, I don't give a shit if like the bass is mono and the tops are stereo or whatever. He's like, as long as the section after it is different. So like, you know, the section after it, maybe all of your tops are mono and all of your bass is like completely stereo, you know, like he, he's just all into this like crazy contrasting stuff. And I thought that was really interesting. I still have not tried that, but... um. I think it's a cool concept, right? Because uh, in the in the context of like um, an album or a set or a playlist on Spotify or something like that, if you're doing like the exact opposite thing, uh, like for instance, you know, your sub is like really stereo and your tops are really mono or something, it's like that sonically is just going to stand out a lot more, I think, against a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, I listened to that one and I... It definitely like now I kind of have that contrast thought in my head to make sure that there are these different things going on. It's not just all the time, a bunch of stuff going on and back to like the stereo thing. And I've been mixing tracks recently. I've been like really trying to reference tracks and just look at them on like, I use like flux to kind of just look at the, there's the one of the images. I forget what it's called. It's the, the nebula spatial gram. I think so. Yeah. The one that looks like a Christmas tree. Yep. That's exactly it. And that one's been helpful. And I've been looking at like just some tipper tracks and it, um, it changes a lot, but on some of them, the high end is like a lot more mono and then it kind of spreads out. And I have always like, kind of just like 
kind of made it almost like an upside down Christmas tree, like where it starts, you know, um, mono and then it like spreads out all over the top. But now I'm trying to just, yeah, just kind of analyze it a little bit more, but not too much. And just, yeah, kind of not have those rules set, you know? Mm. Yeah. I think, um, like obviously you've got a limited amount of headroom to work with going through the stereo bus. So you really want to, I think like the goal is, um, to make things stereo that you can actually hear. Right. Um, and then that's going to give you like the, you're using like the headroom for the most important shit and then everything else, like that's mono, like this, the sub and the, and the very tops. It's like, you're not really hearing a lot of definition in those things. So it's okay to like compress the amount of headroom they're taking up and then just like have all the sort of mid range from, <clears throat> I guess like 500 Hertz to 10 K or something, just be sort of like spread. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. And I've, I've also just been trying to like really spend time and money on getting my, just my room sounding better. I've always just like spent money on buying these synths and then eventually selling them. And I wish I just got more treatment to begin with. Cause I use a synth for, you know, whatever, a few days when I'm making the track and then I spend 95% of the rest of the time in the DAW and mixing the track and I spend a hundred percent of the time listening to it. So I wish I just would have initially spent that money on more treatment and just getting it better, but I'm slowly like adding stuff and getting the room to sound better. And really honestly, in the past six months is the first time I've actually like messed around with the positioning of my monitors and all that. And it's made a huge difference. I, I, I didn't think about that even a year ago with, and I've been producing music for 10 years. So, um, yeah, just trying to get that sound good. Yeah. That's something it's that that's a GIK panel behind you. Is it? Yeah, I got that. And then I just recently got two tri traps in the corners. I need to get two more. And then I had just recently, like a week ago, put up some uh, ceiling panels for the early reflections. And they're just now there's a huge weight on them, but I have a few more coming in like two months or something. Yeah, GIK is slow. I, I have a bunch of their stuff in here too. But um yeah, it's I've I've always told people that like if, if you can spend money on like anything first, either make it treatment or headphones. Because, I mean, if you like, you know, buy a pair of LCDXs or something, they're like super nice headphones. Um, you just remove the room from the equation and therefore it's like, you know, you don't need to worry about treatment. Um, <clears throat> but if you have like a set of KRK6s, it's like, and you have $3,000, it's like rather than upgrading to a $3,000 pair of speakers, like make your $500 KRKs sound like a $3,000 pair of speakers by just treating your room and then whatever speakers you put in there after that are going to be like way better. So for instance, like these barefoot MM, I'm, I'm on barefoots and like having those in this room is fine, but having those in like a shitty room, it's like they're fucking worse than having like a small set of speakers in a shitty room. Cause they just exacerbate the problem more. That's true. Yeah. And those are the, I, I just have the barefoot or the um, footprint twos are the ones you have those like, uh, they're like a little bit longer or bigger. I don't know how to describe them. Uh, I have the MM27. So they're like the tall ones with like the two tweeters and then the small little nipple tweeter in the middle. And do you need like the crazy stand <laughs> to like hold them up and everything? Yeah, the stands to hold them are like worth a thousand bucks on their own, which is crazy. They're just like these, uh, I guess like these big like forklift looking things. And they um they have like decoupling and shit on them. So it basically it's like the speaker is just floating in midair, which is really cool. Oh, so it's not only... That makes it worth it then. Cause I thought it was just, you need those big stands just to support them, but it also, yeah. It has like 
Yeah, it has pretty good technology in it. So the, yeah, the idea is basically like you want to get it just like sitting in midair with no reflection point on whatever it's sitting on or anything like that. Well, yeah, I'm always now I'm I, I spend so much time thinking about it, but I I was at Charles the first house. Um, he wasn't there. We were coming back from Burning Man, and he let us stay at his house. And I his music sounds like so good to me. And I went in. I we went into his room, and he would have just had a pair of rockets with like no treatment at all. Wow. And and I and it just like I'm like shit. If he can do it on that, he must just really know how they sound. And yeah, I don't know that I'm like, do I need all this stuff? I just, I'm just trying to figure it out, but I go back and listen to my old stuff before I thought about it. And there's just so much like weird stuff I hear with just way too much bass and parts and all that. So I think eventually I'll, I'll get it figured out, but I don't know. Mm. If there's one thing I can recommend buying, if you like want to spend the absolute minimum amount of money possible to treat your room, it's this thing right here, a laser measurer. So like basically you turn this shit on and it's a, a laser pointer that tells you how far shit is away. Like you can't really see it on the camera. I don't want to like point it into my camera in case I like fuck it up. But like basically if I like sit here and have this at my head and be like take a reading of like exactly how far my cone is away, it's 1.36 meters away. And then if I look at this cone here and be like how far is that one away, it's 1.394. So that one's about like... 50 centimeters further away from me right now so i either have to move 50 centimeters this way or move that speaker 50 centimeters closer to me and if you get that shit like perfect then your stereo like your stereo is perfect your center image is really good um that's like a huge deal i think is like your mix position and your speaker distances and stuff and these things are like 30 bucks oh my god i, I didn't know that existed because what i i just like take the tape measure and try to like hold Dude, it straight like and go over this and then the problem i was having i just I would have the speakers too far and I have a huge iMac and I, that would get in the way. So I finally got some back, but the laser thing, it was quite tough to like get the measurements by myself. That would be, yeah, you got to get a laser and, um, it's good for like setting your desk up in your room too. Cause you can like butt it up against the edge of the desk and like get it perfectly from wall to wall. Cause the other thing to consider, right. Is if you like, for instance, in, in this room here, my stereo is like pretty fucked because like this wall here is a window and this wall here is a wall. So it's like on one side, I'm getting like reflections and on the other side, I'm getting like complete refraction. <laughs> so it's like one side is always going to be lopsided and like this is always going to sound a little louder and boomier and stuff. So, um, but if you're in a room like you're in, it looks like with just two parallel walls, that's perfect because then you can like get everything like perfectly from each wall. Uh, like everything is perfectly distanced from every wall and stuff and you can kind of like get your stereo image like very uniform. Yeah. And it looks pretty good. I, um, you know, I, I use sonar works and the top end looks pretty good and, the, and it looks pretty lined up. I, I just have a lot of problems with the low end booming up. Do you use like, um, yeah, sonar works or like speaker or whatever correction. Yeah. So they gave it to me and I used it for a little bit and I thought it was pretty good. Um, but I also just kind of got like annoyed with the program, like taking over my, my like drivers and then i'd be like why the fuck aren't i getting sound and then like i'd have to like switch some shit around in the sonar work software and like my drivers and then uh i'd be like oh now it's like way too quiet running through their drivers for some reason and i don't know there's like a bunch of issues with it so i was like 
you know what i don't know like i don't trust what this is doing to my gain stage <laughs> yeah it's yeah i just i now i just i pretty much just like leave my computer on never turn it off so that i can always just system-wide is always <laughs> off and then I, I get annoyed with like bouncing tracks and stuff and um, i'm never sure if it's applying it to the bounce track or if i'm resampling if it's applying it to it but i've like set up some I've been using like a stream deck or the stream deck app to do kind of like macros in Ableton. So I have like a macro that I press it and it like disables, um, disables, uh, sonar works and then freezes the track and then bounces it to a new one. So that's like kind of helped with the annoying parts about that. Uh, that's another thing. Yeah. The, the rendering stuff. So there's actually this plugin by Melda called M recorder. And I've been using that a lot lately. Basically, it's like a um, uh, you just hit record on it, and it just like records into its own buffer, and then you can just set it to render somewhere to a folder. So I just like um, leave this thing sitting on my master, and then whenever I want to record something, I just like hit record on that, play the thing I want to record, hit stop, and then it's just in my current project folder. And then also the benefit of that is it will keep recording after you stop the transport. So like if you have a reverb tail you want to record or something, you just like hit the thing until it like tails out and then just hit record and like oh that would be yeah because that's it takes me it just at the time adds up like i usually just use yeah. sample but doubling the track and adding that and i could even just throw that before sonar works because exactly, so that doesn't yeah. get applied <laughs> yeah exactly but um there's, there's something that comes free in fruity loops that that solves this problem called edison that a lot of people on my stream have told me to check out um and i haven't really checked it out yet but it looks pretty cool that, yeah, I'm definitely, I have a few of the Melda plugins, but yeah, that would be, that would save me a lot of time. The annoying, I, I don't know if I need to just upgrade my computer. I, I feel like it's pretty powerful, but like in these bigger projects, it just like, as more and more stuff gets added, it just takes longer and longer for like plugins to get added on. And I don't know if that would be faster if I just got a better computer, but it's just really kind of slowing down my workflow recently. There's mm. like a ton of stuff going on. I don't know. With Live 11, though, um, you should be able to check, right, like what's eating up all the processing power because it has like the CPU meters on every channel. Just as the projects get bigger and bigger, it's just like going slower and slower. So I don't know. Like taking Chrome off my computer seemed to actually help a lot, um, hmm. but I may just need to upgrade or something. I don't know. Weird. Chrome. Should use Brave. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was... Look, I, I, I do need to like kind of get on that stuff and get a little bit more secure with everything. Um, but I just haven't taken the time to do it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brave's pretty sick. I'm into it. Um, what made you move to Petaluma? Uh, Petaluma. Petaluma. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I lived in Santa Cruz for a while. Then I lived in Berkeley. Um, this is all after moving to Minnesota. And then we just kind of wanted, uh, me and my wife just wanted more room, um, and kind of better rent. So we kind of got as close to the Bay area as we could, um, mm -hmm. while still being able to afford a house. So yeah, that was the main reason. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Actually, I guess I've driven, I'm just looking at Petaluma on the map now. I guess I've driven up there cause I, I go mountain biking a ton and, um, I've been mountain biking up around there at a place called Anadel state park yeah yeah i think that's up in santa rosa i i've i've mountain biked once and then when, a lot of times when i do stuff like that i get like super obsessed with it even though i probably won't do it again <laughs> so i've like researched all the spots around me um and yeah i want to get back into it it's just like financially it's do you have like your own bike and all your own equipment 
I do. Yeah, it's an expensive sport to get into for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, are you are you enjoying uh, living in San Francisco? And dude, it's it's so sick. It's like equally distant, I guess, between like these spots up in Santa Rosa and North Bay stuff. But it's also like pretty close to Santa Cruz, right? So I got to go to like both, which is awesome. Santa Cruz is insanely cool for mountain biking. It's crazy. Like the Sokol Demonstration Forest, man. That's that place is so good. I haven't. Yeah, I I used to I used to live up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, like. Um, when I was in college and there, I always would see there's like mountain bike tracks up at the upper campus of UCSC. Um, but yeah, I haven't like ridden back there or anything. Wait. So like, uh, like in Scott's Valley and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's in, do you know, have you heard of Bonnie Dune? Bonnie Dune. No, I have not. There's like, it's like right above Scott's Valley and Santa Cruz. Um, and there's a good amount of like, there, there used to be a lot of like tracks there and you'd walk there and there'd be like huge jumps and stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so it looks like um, SoCal Demonstration Forest is not that far from there. Yeah, I think that would SoCal is like kind of on the other side of the freeway, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it looks like it is. But yeah, that that place kicks ass. The mountain biking is so good. Have you ever done it at um, like a mountain where they have like lifts and stuff? I haven't. No, I've um, just done it on places where you have to ride up these big nasty hills. But yeah, earn your turns. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's good. It's like um, you know, good exercise, uh, which is you know something that I really value, especially during quarantine, right? When like gyms are shut and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I've been just running a lot recently um, since I, you know, we haven't been able to go to the gym. Um, but yeah, it's hard to keep not like just sitting around a lot. But it definitely feels good to get out and get your body moving. How was your tour schedule before COVID? Um, it was good. We were like, we were right in the middle of a tour when COVID, um, kind of shut everything down. So we were about yeah halfway through. Um, and I was trying to like just the past few years, um, it just got old, like flying to places. And that was always the best, like financially for me. Cause there were low expenses, you know, but I always just en- enjoyed doing either like a sprinter tour or a bandwagon tour or a tour bus tour. Um, so we did like a, a, like a big tour with broad, like a void sound system and then just light and got a tour bus and stuff and got halfway through and then had to shut it down. And, um, it's kind of a bummer cause we were like, the financials were like pretty tight on that. And we were really counting on the dates towards the end. Like we had a bunch of East coast dates to like make up, um, a lot of the money for it. And right where it got canceled, we were in this part where we're like, we weren't making much money and it kind of like screwed me a little bit, just cutting it off there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But like you'd outlaid a bunch of money for like all of the production and the sound system and the bus and like all that kind of stuff. And then not being able to do the last few days kind of like put you in the red. It did. Yeah. Put us in the red a good amount. Um, just cause a lot of the expenses were up front and we couldn't get it back. Fuck. Do you know, um, do you ever like buy tour insurance or whatever it is? Um, no, no, we like, we, me and my manager definitely talked about it after. And we like, we couldn't figure out if this would have, if we would have had insurance, if it would have, um, applied for it, if it was like an act of God or like in one of those clauses or something. Cause it's such a crazy situation. Yeah. And like I said, with being such a small artist and trying to tour with production, like the profit is already like very like small and most of it comes from selling merch. Mm -hmm. Um, that like, and I, and even like random stuff, like I bought a trailer for the tour. Um, cause I was trying to spend some, um, 
was going to sell it after. And then I had a lot of trouble. I've, I haven't been able to sell the trailer trailer yet. So that was a huge expense and would have been much better if I just rented one, if I knew it was going to get cut in half. Um, but yeah, I, I worked with my dad and just like kind of figured out some stuff financially, like through just government programs and, um, getting loans to the government. to cause we had a credit line that we kind of put it all on and just reducing the interest rate on that and kind of starting to get it paid off. But yeah, it's pretty lame. Damn. Yeah. That sucks, man. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. My situation was not as bad as that. I basically just had a bunch of shows booked that I just didn't go to. Cause I was just at the time just doing like flyouts. Um, and then I was just like, all right, I guess I'm just not flying out to all those. And then I had like a bunch of flights booked for all of them. And then I was able to mostly like cash them in for flight credits. And yeah. Cause the airlines are pretty good about that. I know like, like Boogie T like had done like one date on his tour and then had, and it was like his first bus cancel it, which like, I'm really happy just for the experience. I got to do half of it. Um, it seems like it probably worked out, would have worked out with him financially because hopefully could have got a lot of that back. But, um, yeah, it's just, just weird. And hopefully we're trying to like reschedule it. And, um, I've toured, uh, once or twice in a, have you heard of a bandwagon? Uh, no. Is it like a tour bus kind of thing? It's like, it's like a shitty tour bus. It's, uh, it's like this company. It's sorry. It's not shitty. It's actually really great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk shit on the company because I actually really love them. They just turn these like almost like box trucks into these kind of just makeshift tour buses. They have like 10 bunks. Um, and they just cut expenses a lot. If you look it up, it's just bandwagon RV. Yeah. I'm looking at these now. They, uh, I think I have, I have seen bands in these before actually. Yeah. And they, they're just great. Cause they're much cheaper and, um, anyone can drive them. Cause the big, ex- a big expense on a tour bus is the bus driver and getting hotels every night with this, anyone could drive it. And the driver sleeps in a bunk up in the front. Um, and we're going to try to just do another tour and like uh, when we can come back in one of those and just kind of make as much money as possible to kind of repay those debts. But uh, were you in one of these when the tour you were, you just did got canceled or no, we were in a regular tour bus. So that's why the expenses were so high and we were on the other side of the country and had to mm-hmm. get everything back. But, um, but, I think for the near future, we'll just do those, the bandwagons cause they're just, they're fun and they're a little dinky, <laughs> but they, they get the job done and they're cheap, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're at the level of like doing tour buses, man, I like wouldn't consider you to be that small of an artist. Like how many, like what were the venue sizes you were playing? Like, I mean, it just like in Portland, it'd be like, uh, I forget what it's called. It, it, anywhere like on weekdays to from like to like 300 to 600. And then on weekends trying to do between like 700 and, you know, a thousand, but like I, I was, we were like cutting it close and like, it's, we really had to like nail down the financials perfectly. Like there was no room for mistakes on that end. Um, so I think I was kind of on the brink of it being able to do it. And I've done it before in a tour bus. Um, but the bandwagon is just, I don't have to worry about that. It's actually cheaper than doing like a sprinter tour. Um, cause you don't have to get any hotel rooms. Um, and I just work out good deals with the lights and the sound and stuff and barely make ends meet and usually make it happen. I don't know. Damn. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. Fuck. I should do a bandwagon tour at some point. I did one in a, um, sprinter once and I hated it. It was like so much work. Um, we ended up sleeping in the sprinter a lot, which was uncomfortable. It was terrible. 
um yeah there was like six of us like sleeping in a sprinter it was crazy well look next time you do like a production tour look into the bandwagon it's like 350 a day or something and you don't need hotel rooms you know i mean you need a shower room but um we did a tour where we did half on a sprinter and half on the bandwagon and the bandwagon ended up being um cheaper than getting a sprinter and all the hotel rooms yeah we got a crazy deal on the sprinter though we got it for like two months for like three grand or something because like yeah we, my friend just had one and we're like can we just borrow it for like this much money and he was like done that's the way to do it yeah man yeah it was pretty sick yeah yeah man i so i keep thinking like i mean i love doing shows and i think it's fun and cool but also like i've been pretty into this studio vibe as well which is you know kind of cool um have you also felt similarly in that way like have you gotten a lot of a lot of work done uh during this time or have you been mostly just like um i think you've frozen no Uh oh (laughs) okay awesome yeah, I think we should be good. Okay, so hopefully that doesn't happen again. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, <laughs> I forgot what I was asking. Yeah, I can't remember what we were talking about. It was uh, something along the lines of touring, maybe. Oh, um, you're. Oh, we were talking about like just like in the studio life. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I was saying that. Uh, to some degree, like I'm stoked. Like, but obviously, I'm stoked. Vaccines are coming out, and like this whole problem is getting solved and stuff like that. But I'm also like kind of uh, like in some ways sad that I might feel obligated to have to <laughs> start doing shows again, which is like the fucking most first world shit ever. Yeah, I I've gotten used to this as well too, and I it is gonna be weird once we get back to it and kind of having to switch gears again and not having like a great excuse to like stay in a lot. <laughs> I know it's going to be like everybody has uh, gone back to playing shows for the first time again, sort of, right? Like everyone might be a little scared on stage and shit. And- I think it's I think it's definitely going to be a little bit a little bit weird, but it will definitely be nice. It's been it's like I've like set up like my CDs CDJs uh, in my house and you know had like kind of I just have like a few friends that are kind of in my group over and it's been fun to just like DJ together and just hang out and drink and do that at the house. Um, but it always makes me a little bit sad when I, after I have a few more drinks because I'm like oh I'm not playing shows. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are you um like still you think as good as at DJing as you know when you were doing shows? Um. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I always am like I've been doing a like a, a stream like every now and then and it's always like a little bit rough at the beginning like mix wise um, cuz it's hard to get into it when there's like no one there and there's just like a bunch of like my computer and shit there. Um, but once I get into it, I the rustiness kind of fades off, but um it's definitely a lot harder to DJ by yourself than it is in front of people in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, because you like don't have that energy to feed off and stuff like that. You know that uh, thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you um have have you been playing on CDJs for like a long ass time, or were you like a laptop guy for a long time? Um, for, I've been doing CDJs for like probably the past like six years or so, so I'm like pretty familiar with them. I'd say. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of only switched to CDJs like I don't know two years ago or something. If that. What, yeah. Why'd you Why'd you make the switch over? Because I realize no one gives a shit about uh, like live 
quote unquote electronic music shows, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like <laughs> all the shit that I'm like setting up on Ableton to do is like just for me. Like no no one cares. Uh the only reason you would do it right is to like sync visuals and stuff like that, I guess. Um, or sync like a lighting show up or something like that. But even still it's like there seems to be good ways to solve that on CDJs these days too. Yeah, and I've done like I've done on my last tour before this one, I spent a lot of time um putting this really complicated convoluted system together where i would have i would play on cdjs and they would send midi to ableton and then ableton would trigger visuals and resolume and i spent like so much time on that and even with the visuals running up like synced and i thought it was really cool i don't think i think some people thought it was cool but i spent a lot of time on it and i don't think that many people thought it was that cool so right it's i don't yeah know. you almost start asking yourself right like where is my time better spent or like where is um you know is it better if i spend six weeks uh preparing this live show with synced visuals and all this crazy shit or should i just like write six new tracks in six weeks like purely with the uh, idea of playing them at certain parts in time in the set and like having them be super hypey and and all that kind of stuff right it's like i mean i think the thing that's going to be most effective in terms of how much the crowd enjoys the set is is going to be the latter right a hundred percent and the one good thing was like i was like in a little bit of a rut with like writing music i just wasn't enjoying it and it was really um great to just like be able to learn this whole new kind of medium and um kind of be creatively fulfilled there without like being stressed out about writing music. Um, but the time it would be much better spent working on music than this thing that's used at, at such a small portion of like what I do just in live shows, you know? Um, and it just, it was like so many hours of work and just, I, it took me like up until like three weeks until the tour was done to get the system actually working perfectly. Like every show, it was just like troubleshooting and spending hours after the show, just like figuring out what went wrong. Cause it just was, it just was, it was, I made it like too complicated, you know, it just didn't make sense. Yeah. It's good to like have those experiences there, right? Cause then like in retrospect, you can look back and be like, all right, like we just need to delete half of this shit for the next tour and just like go with the one thing that worked or whatever. That Yeah. And even just like visual wise, I remember when I was like putting stuff together in Resolume, all the, all the early, the visuals I created first. Now, when I look at them, there was just so much shit going on. Like I had no eye for it and it just was way too much. And now I have a lot more knowledge in that sense of things about, you know, being more limited and just even just technology wise, like kind of knowing what's going on and I can kind of have um, better conversations with VJs and all that kind of stuff for festivals and everything because I do have a knowledge there, which was helpful. It was a lot of work to figure out all that, but it's in general been positive. Yeah, what what made you like go down the rabbit hole of figuring all that out rather than just hiring like a VJ to work with and collaborate with on a on a tour? Uh just like lower expenses, like just trying to do everything myself and I just didn't have too much money to work with. So I I hired um people to uh make some content and then I also pulled a lot from like National Geographic shit and just buying loops online. Um but mostly it was just it was kind of just budget um you know like we're just talking about in hindsight still my um time would have been much better spent just working on music and putting out more music and making money on that and then you know 
have hiring someone to make the visuals. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a money thing. And it also was just like a curiosity thing of like trying to like figure it out myself and make it exactly how I wanted to. But I should have just, yeah, I should have um, got got a little bit more help with it. Yeah, that's kind of what, what I did when I did my like big tour where I tried to do production and shit. Yeah. I kind of like just got help with it. Um, but uh, yeah, then I, I ended up like not making any money on that tour and it was a fucking mess and it was the uh, last yeah. experience of my life. <laughs> Did you, so did you, um, did you have synced up visuals? Did you just like have an Ableton set and like for each song it would send like MIDI to Resolume or something like that? So I was sending out a full like 127 notes like of MIDI at any given time to like the, the VJs and they were using Touch OSC to like interpolate all that data and do things with it. And then I was also sending out, uh, instead of like sending out MIDI notes to, um, trigger like different things in Resolume. I was just sending out time code. Uh, and uh, so I just had like one audio channel of time code that I was just sending via audio to them. And then basically they just said like at all of these parts of time code in the set, um, play this film clip thing, you know, I'll play. And so did you, with doing that, did you have to um, play your set in a certain order for the um, visuals to be synced up? No, I didn't have to. I could I could play it in six different orders. But basically the way it worked was um, oh, more than six. I mean, like I had six sections of the set. And yeah. basically once I started a section of the set, I had to like keep playing that section of the set. And that was about yeah. a, like a 15-minute chunk. Yeah. Um, and then I had like six or seven of those to choose from. So I could play them in like any order I wanted. Okay. But, yeah, and that's my like my dream setup, and I I like kind of almost got there was using the system to be able to play like make visuals for songs and then play them at any part, and they would like you know trigger the visuals, and I did that through MIDI and stuff. Um, it it I think if I did it now, I could get it to work better, but um towards the end, I kind of got it there where I could um play like a song at any part and mix it in at any part but there still would always have to be some planning for like how long how much of the song i want the visuals were for it just i i wanted it to be so i could completely improvise but um in reality it's that's pretty tough to do with getting visuals involved you know yeah this is still a like unsolved problem it seems like that a lot of electronic musicians and vjs and stuff are trying to solve yeah yeah i'm sure someone solved it by now but yeah yeah true it's crazy that like electronic music people like producers and DJs and shit, it's like almost at the level that you're at, you kind of like expected to just bring these insanely big shows with like insane production for like not a, not a lot of money sometimes, which is kind of crazy. Well, yeah. And I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but like, at least with the way we do our deals, um, you know, sometimes we structure them so we can get like production buyouts and stuff. But most of that stuff, you know, I have to cover. And, you know, we usually well, actually, you know, when we're booking a tour, we don't necessarily get a bigger guarantee for a show because we're bringing production. Um, you know, I promoters have told me that production doesn't sell shows. And that's true. You know, like a lot of artists bring it. Most artists bring it because they want it. They think it'll, you know, maybe increase their ticket value, but mostly just because they want to make the show better. Um, 
but like you know i would be able to make more money if i just toured with nothing and i don't think it would make i've done tours with and without production and it, the ticket sales don't like change a ton in my opinion but um yeah it's a it's a big expense like the physical product to bringing it out and you know flying out you know vjs and sound guys and whatever and also the price of getting content created and you know all that work too it's it, it adds up yeah totally i think um like one part of the mentality for me when i was putting together the one uh tour i have with production was that like if i do this one tour with production and it's like insane and really good and like we just tough it out for this one tour then like the next one you know the guarantees will be higher the ticket sales will be higher like all that sort of stuff and that was just not the case. It's like the, I was like, all right, fuck, we did it. We did the crazy hard tour. All right, now like let's wait for the bigger guarantees to start coming in. And then uh, and we did some big shows and there was like a lot of good buzz surrounding that tour and stuff. But then it's like the next guarantees came in and they're like, oh, we'll offer you $400 to play in uh, Billings, Montana on a Tuesday night with, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it, it helps like a, t a little bit, but it doesn't it doesn't i i have the same thought too and it doesn't it never does as much as i think it will you know yeah it doesn't translate that way and then once i kind of figured out that i like kind of sat back for a few months and was like all right like what are my ideals in life and i started to think about it just from like a very philosophical perspective i was like obviously like if i live my life like this i'm not going to enjoy my life like this this like touring thing at that level with all that production like it's horrible i hate it uh, so i was like what what can i do um, that, you know, that, that, uh, where I can be a music producer, but not have to go through all that crap. And, um, <clears throat> I kind of just figured like just playing, like playing shows on CDJs, use whatever production they have at the place and just write tunes and put them out. Like that's what I like to do. And, <laughs> you know, if people start complaining that there's no production, I have a pretty good argument against not bringing it. So. <laughs> yeah and no one really does complain I, the difference with me is i do like really love like i love like personally helping with the logistics of planning like the tour and i love like getting to the venue with all the stuff and having all the stuff and i loved this last tour instead of doing an led wall we brought a void sound system and it was great going into all these like random rooms and like having this like crazy sound system and it like causes a ton of stress for me like financially and it does usually doesn't work out that well for me on that end of things but i i don't like i i'm really tired of like doing now i'm saying this i would love to go fly and do a show but i got really sick of doing that and i love like traveling in a whatever a van or something with a bunch of friends and setting up stuff and having this big thing to play on um but yeah that is also true. It is really nice to be able to like travel with people and uh, not have That's... to get on planes and stuff. Cause uh, like I did this once with Beats Antique and I really enjoyed uh, going to sleep and then just like waking up and being like, Oh cool. I'm in like a whole other city. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it makes a big difference. You're, you always have this place where you're comfortable. You're like not, you're technically moving around a lot, but you have like a home, you know, you have, you're not, having to worry about each green room being nice and just going in between hotels and airports it just you get a lot more comfortable and the main thing i think is you just have like a group of people you're around rather just rather than just you know a bunch of random people all the time mm. yeah yeah there's yeah i don't know do you ever get much music produced in those those buses or bandwagons no i try but um 
I like on the last tour, like all everyone else, all the um, support we had on the tour, were all like making music the whole time. And I tried and I just could never like really get anything done. And then like I remember I've done two uh, bus tours and the first one was with uh, Greg G. Jones and this other guy, Jackal. And Greg would always just like produce on his like MacBook with just the MacBook speakers and would always like it would start to annoy me because he would just like um, just wouldn't use headphones and like blast out of there. And I would hear like the same loop over and over. But he just like would go like we'd all like party after the show. And usually after the show, he would just like start working on music and just, you know, really just go nonstop. But I, yeah, I could never like I never ended up doing that. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I think Virtual Riot is like that too. You'll be sitting in a green room and he'll just be blasting music out of his speakers, <laughs> writing tunes, like making serum patches and shit. I know. It's, yeah. And like, you know, I think like Greg, or no, he would like go like, you know, then mix the stuff on speakers and stuff. But I've known other feeler producers that just do that with the laptop speakers. And then it, I think it usually translates pretty well, you know? Yeah. If you're good enough with like metering and you kind of like know what you're doing, um, then yeah, it's possible. But I can never get inspired enough from speakers to continue with a loop, you know, like I'll write a little thing and I'm like, I just can't hear the drums properly. I can't hear the bass, but like this, this just sounds crap to me. And then I'll listen to it on speakers and be like, actually, there's way too much bass and way too much there's drums. so much missing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or too much there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because you're like trying to push too much out of these little speakers. So it sounds inspiring to you. Yeah, you know, it's really inspiring when you hear a kick and you're like, oh, yeah, that's like tough. And <laughs> yeah, and I can see it would be good to get ideas down because, you know, you're just more limited. You don't have to worry about if you have a bunch of stuff in your studio, you just have a few things. I would love to like go like do like a go work somewhere and just put a few things on my laptop. And so I feel like just I just have way too much like mainly software like to choose from that. I get this problem like with picking what 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 to use. I'd love to just like. Oh, yeah just pick a bunch of samples and just like work with that you know yeah you get option paralysis exactly yeah exactly yeah i don't like that i yeah. have tried to sort of just build things into my workflow to avoid that where you know some days i'll be like all right i'm only going to use phase plant for everything like i'm not even going to allow myself to like pick samples or anything yeah and if you just put that limitation on yourself even just for a few hours uh, or even just for one hour, like just not not even a long time. Just be like, I'm in phase plant jail for the next hour. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I have so many ideas, and now I just need to pull in a few samples and bam, a tune's there now. You know. Yeah, I do need a. I've tried doing that a little bit with like my field recordings, like trying to just like pull from like stuff that I've recorded and make as much stuff, you know, by just like messing with those sounds. But I need to get a little bit better about. Yeah, kind of doing that, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I've been getting kind of inspired about field recordings lately. Actually, I just had um Richard Devine on the podcast. And then just after that, I had um Mick Gordon, the guy who did like the Doom soundtrack and stuff. Okay. He, okay. he did like Doom, Wolfenstein, Killer Instinct, Need for Speed. Like he did a bunch of games. And um they both just have the craziest instruments like lying around their houses for field <laughs> recording. Like Richard Devine had a bunch of these Aztec death whistles. And then uh, he had like 30 of them. And then uh, Mick Gordon had this like this thing called a kangling. Have you ever heard about that? No. So it's a femur, like a femur bone that's like hollowed out and turned into a flute. Okay. Uh, also an Aztec instrument. Do the Aztecs just make the fucking most gruesome <laughs> instruments? And uh, they both just sound like 
shit you would hear in video games, like these big, like crazy, dirty ass horn sounds and shit. Dude, yeah, that's I. I like took my field recorder to a like a park recently and just like recorded this like gate with all this reverb and was able to create cool stuff with that. And even just like buying percussion instruments recently and like if I need a shaker rather than like going through and trying to find a loop that has the exact right groove, I just like record the shaker and it just sounds way better and it is way faster, you know? Yeah, it's nice like doing things bespoke for the tune for sure. Man, yeah. I have this recorder. This thing here, it's so cool. I've been using it lately. It's um, It's got like ears on it. Uh, oh what the fuck yeah it's called a 3d ofs it's basically a binaural recorder and And, i just yeah yeah walk around recording with this and that creates these like nice stereo recordings which is cool how is it how is it different than like a regular like field recorder or something i guess the microphones instead of being like super close together or like this little xy setup are just like these weird fucking pickups in the side of the ears or something and it just i don't know so like simulates like kind of how you would hear it like how the microphones are placed yeah exactly so when you listen to it back in headphones it sounds like ultra realistic like these ears are pretty (laughs) oh because because you even get the shape of it exactly so you get like the um you have like the the pinna reflections and like you know the little canal and everything so it's kind of like you get the experience of an ear before it hits the microphone that's really interesting. Would, would would you recommend that, like something like that? Do you get a good amount of use out of it? I've I've done a fair few recordings on it. Like lately, I can send you some if you if you're interested. Yeah, I want to check them out because that would be really interesting to yeah try recording some stuff with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, the whole reason I got you on the podcast in the first place and something we haven't talked about yet is um like uh just posting about people doing shows on twitter that's like where i saw your name pop up again and i was like oh i should yeah. go to minnesota on the podcast i don't feel like this is gonna come up <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so um i mean it's a nuanced situation right like for instance yeah. i've done three shows during quarantine one was at the midway and that was like uh out the back on a patio and there was uh less than 100 people and and everyone was like socially like pods yeah exactly yeah those pods and that felt pretty safe and then i did one drive-in show in wisconsin with ganja white night that also felt pretty safe because again it was like pods of cars but the thing that did not feel safe to me was flying there 100 percent. yeah pretty damn sketchy and yeah also the case rates in wisconsin at the time were like really bad so i was like okay that was probably not a good idea yeah and then i did the same thing also with ganja white night at the um the orange nos event center or whatever it's called in san bernardino and that i drove to that one and again it was just like pods of cars so that that felt pretty safe to me yeah but um this squanto one i couldn't tell if it was inside or outside but regardless of whether or not it was no one's wearing a mask which is insane and they're all yelling which is like just aerosols like (laughs) these yeah these are the thoughts that i it's that that show was inside and i i end up posting this stuff when i'm like in this really frustrated mood like i was i posted about about this before but right before i posted that i was like working with my parents and i have an older brother who has down syndrome who like are there people with down syndrome are like very very at risk of dying or developing like um just bad covid reactions they're like between four and 10 times more likely to die from COVID. So I was just like, California had just kind of moved them down the list on where they get 
vac or their vaccine position. So basically, my parents had gotten vaccines because they're his caretaker, but he um, hasn't been able to get one yet. Um, so like before I posted the Squanto thing, I was like, um, like writing like a letter to the governor and just like doing that stuff with my parents. And then I saw that picture and I was like, oh my god. And the thing that I've met his name is Eric, right? I've met him before and I had a great interaction with him and it was before COVID and stuff, but I just, I just get so mad that he like retired and then came back and I almost feel it's like to rub it in people's faces to like do shows like this, you know, it just frustrates yeah. me. Yeah. It's yeah. an incredibly selfish thing to do. Like, I mean, quitting in the first place was selfish, right? I mean, he's not like quitting for anybody else. He's quitting for himself, which yeah. is totally fine. That's a reasonable thing to do. But then yeah. also like coming back to do shows again, just for himself. Cause he was bored basically. and like wanted to do it and like, that's... And I, yeah. And just at this point, and then just like the picture, like, I feel like he must've known what he was doing taking the picture. Obviously he didn't post it. I got it from someone else on Twitter, but it just was like this complete, like just the stuff that you mentioned with the no mask, like it's what that situation is like the opposite of what you know science is telling us is a safe like environment for it and i'm not one for like like everyone should be locked down and not seeing anyone i like i believe you know you should see your people and you know otherwise you're gonna go crazy but like just completely disregarding uh, like science and health and just like um safety and you know a lot of these guys are like almost like anti-government but i'm like it's not really about what the government says it's about like what science says is safe and what's not safe you know um yeah i don't know yeah the problem with like listening to science is uh they've given so much ammo to conspiracy theorists because they've been so wrong about so many things right like the cdc was like you don't need to wear masks that doesn't make a difference and then they're like hold on one second you need to wear a mask and then they were like Actually, you know what's even better? Two masks. I know, I know. And then you, you know, because originally they thought the sur- like the surfaces and washing your hands, and then that ended up not being important. But it's understandable. It's like such a new thing, and you know, they they haven't done a good job presenting it. But um, I just, just try try to stay up to date and like just think about. Um, it's like, I wish I could say it's just because I'm like concerned about like myself and, and people, and mostly it's people that are at risk. I'm concerned. And, but also it's, I get frustrated because I'm like 95% of other people of like other people in our community are, you know, um, sacrificing their income and their livelihoods and, you know, like doing this and not like not doing shows while, you know, a few people are doing it. And, it's just like I have a lot of friends in the music industry that have kind of found other jobs working at like grocery stores and all that. And I don't know, I don't get the argument that DJs can't like do other jobs if, you know, they're not making money. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with you. And I think it's like obviously the most reasonable thing to do is to just like keep checking the CDC website, stay up to date with the information that scientists are giving us and just follow whatever the latest information is that they have. That seems to make the most sense to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I posted on that thread, uh, like, so there's this thing called microcovid.org and essentially yeah. it's like related, um, to sort of like micro morts. It's, uh, like one micro COVID is a one in a million chance that you will catch COVID. Yeah. And, 
and I posted and I said, I don't think I'm working this out correctly. And then MicroCovid actually responded to the tweet being like, yeah, I don't think you were working it out correctly. But they said it's probably around... They said that the show was outside. Was it not? No, it was it was inside. I looked at the venue and stuff just to get like a better yeah it was a, like a, in a, it was like a it was a pretty big they definitely like followed the like lower capacity thing it was like in a pretty big ballroom that fit a lot more people but it was in a ballroom at a hotel right so yeah i mean it's probably around 300,000 micro covids which is like about a 3 in 10 chance that you would pick up covid at that event and yeah you i think you said it was like 3,000 times more than your daily uh, COVID allowance or something? Yeah, 5,000 times higher than your weekly risk budget. So like, for instance, um, like I'm in a pod, right? Now policy is basically like we all have a COVID risk budget uh, and we just have to measure our activities on this website. So like counting calories, right? Yeah. Um, and we're just not allowed to go over our, our micro COVID budget. And our weekly risk budget, because there's 10 of us in the pod, is 35 micro-COVIDs each okay. a, a week. So, um, and that that will keep our risk as a pod to under 1% a year. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this would be 5,000 times higher than, than your weekly risk budget. <laughs> yeah, and I just... Uh, so th this I, would be like 10 years of COVID risk for us. It's just, yeah, I just... I think there are like, I don't really, I've done one drive-in show and it felt like, okay, the traveling sketched me out and also going to the show and like people like friends and stuff came to the show to like hang out backstage. And I was like, it should kind of just be performers backstage. And I'm not like against people doing drive-ins and stuff like that. It's just, you know, like outdoor seems like being much better, but just these indoor shows where there's just like no fucks given about anything it just it gets frustrated and like i said I, I end up posting this stuff after being like frustrated about something and then i'm like oh i don't know it i i, I don't it's kind of it doesn't do much like maybe like some people's posts have helped like an artist cancel one show or something but it's more just frustration and then i'm like i don't know if that was like the best like the most constructive thing to do and then i just like when it's like a thread like that i just i don't even let, end up looking at the mentions because there's just no point of getting into it with people and I don't yeah, know. yeah, definitely just a bunch of people who are going to be... Argue. Yeah, it's it's really tough arguing with people about this online because everyone thinks it's like an opinion-based matter. Yeah. Which it just like so most certainly is not. And yeah. it's just once somebody has like starts from that perspective of like this is just my opinion and that's just your opinion, then you're like the conversation's over. Like there's nowhere we can go if you just think this is opinions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it'd be better if I like posted this stuff with like just as more of a conversation than just, you know, just I just post the pictures and disgusting um, and kind of like start more of a conversation maybe. Um, but yeah, it just was frustration of. Yeah, I, th I thought I was I just wish we could all like kind of get on the same page, which is obviously impossible and just, you know, just knock out this shit faster. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right, when everybody has their own reality of you know, life on, on their internet. Did you watch yeah. that social net, what was it called? The fucking social dilemma? Did you watch I, that? I actually, no, I actually haven't seen that. So one of the big, like, uh, overarching talking points in it is that we all 
kind of live with our own reality. Like for instance, you know, what you see when you look at your phone in, in the morning is not what I see. Like we see a completely different reality. Yeah. And the fact that everybody is like in their own reality on their phone all the time, it's like we we literally are all basically living in a completely different reality, which is why there's just well, one theory on why there's just this such a massive divide between people right now. That's, that's, yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I like, I personally, like, I realized, like, getting off of social media, like, really helped my anxiety levels. So, like, even now when I post, like, something on Instagram, I never look at the comments and stuff. And a lot of times when I post stuff on Twitter, I don't. And it's kind of messed up because it should be more of a conversation. I should be able to interact. But I realize it's better for me mentally if I can just, like, post something and do what I need to do for my brand uh, and just not worry about it but I, I i also like when i'm on if i catch myself on like instagram or facebook just scrolling i'm like i feel like i should be getting paid by these companies to like look through <laughs> your, it, you know your attention yeah it's like i i i don't want to give these companies like my i don't know my attention like i feel like that's worth something and it's it 100 percent is worth something i mean that's literally what advertisers are paying for right Exactly. Yeah. And I like that's starting to come to my head when I'm going through this. And I'm just like, it's not it's not good to spend too much time on that, which is pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, um, it's not super useful a lot of the time to look at comments, because like, I mean, like you said, uh, you're in your own reality dealing with your own problems when you posted that picture of Squanto in the show, right? Yeah. So it's like, it had a completely different context to you than it did to Squanto nope. or anybody else. And yeah. same thing with like, you know, I was in my own reality, Squanto was in his own reality, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like that thread coming together with everybody just like so in their own shit is yeah. just always going to be a crockpot for arguments and disaster and just a bunch of bullshit. And there's just, it really doesn't do anything. Like no one's opinion changed with like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like nobody... It's not like anyone goes on the internet and like reads a thing and goes like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I believe you. And like, that's very uh, insightful of you. They're all just like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> exactly. It's oh, my God, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I yeah, no, it's it's funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's good that you like posting about stuff like that. I think, you know, someone needs to. It's yeah. And it's it's tough to like, uh, like when I like the first one I did, I, I called out Dirt Monkey. And it's really tough to like call out like individual people, especially like him, because I have, I've only met him once or twice. And he seemed like a great guy. It just are these like, the times when I call it the individual artists, it's just like, when specific things happen, where it was like, when I talked about him, it was like, two people or three people staff members got COVID after. So I'm like, then how do you do another show and know that that like actually like they the venue said like people got covid from the show like after that don't you like try to do something about that um and i try to like figure it out in my head but i know that these people just have different opinions on covid and how but bad the, it is uh, yeah i mean i had the monkey on the show and yeah, I could not, exp like, I had him on the show after he sort of like broke the seal on shows. Like he was sort of the first one to do it, right? Yeah. He was the first one to play that show at Guilt, you know, because yeah. he's, he's, um, I mean, he's gone through the same shit, right? Like he bought a house just before all of this shit and like, uh, yeah. and then, you know, shows stopped and now he's got a mortgage to pay and a kid and like all this sort of shit. He's like, he's in a situation for sure. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, he he was sort of like the guinea pig for it and like did that first show because his agent, who is also Squano's agent actually, okay, also Boogie T's agent and whatnot, uh, was like, oh, the show's happening again. Do you want to do one? He was like, he didn't even think about it. He was just like, yeah, of course. Like, I want money. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had him on the podcast and he's definitely one of those people who's like, well, you know, like if you just don't want to get COVID, just don't go to the show. And it's like, man, it doesn't work that way. It's like, it's that's just like saying. I don't know, like if you don't want to get an STD or something. Well, it's not even like that, right? Because uh, STDs are a little different because it's, it's yeah. like you're walking into the world forcing yourself on everybody. It's. Uh, I, I hope. I hopefully you're not. Anyway, <laughs> it's yeah. It's not about, and I'm not. I'm not scared of me getting it. It's I'm scared about you know, just other people that are more at risk getting it, and. I had another thought about that. I, I, I can't remember what I was going to say. It's just, I, I'm, yeah, I'm totally spacing. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the term that we're using in our pod for, uh, um, for like, you know, who is in the pod is air bonded, which is like very close to the concept, I guess, of fluid bonded uh, in a sexual relationship. Um, so I feel like if you think about it from that perspective, which is sort of the perspective or the, the way that you have to think about it, is that everyone who then goes to that show is then air bonded and if one of those people at that show has covid well it's like now all of these people go back to their pods who they're like you know uh you know quote unquote quarantining with (laughs) and now it's like they're they're not only air bonded now with everyone who was at that show it's like everyone who who just went from that show to their houses have now air bonded everyone at the show with everybody at their houses. And yeah. And, and then also I always think that like the people that go to these shows and are not wearing masks, I assume that they're probably a lot more risky when they're going out and are taking their masks off when they can and when it's on forced and it's just getting spread even more, you know? And, you know, I totally, I understand where, you know, uh, you know, dirt monkeys may be coming from on the financial side of things. Um, but there's options to make stuff work and, you know, making other streams of income um, and then lots, you know, unemployment and government programs. It, it's been tough for me and my wife because my wife is a, a floral designer. She does weddings for a living. And so her whole industry is kind of shut down, too. Um, and we were lucky enough to have some money saved up. Um, but, you know, we've just spent the time and figured out the different government programs to get loans and some like loans that we don't have to pay back and been able to make ends meet. Um, you know, I, I wish I had more set up beforehand, like kind of you have with all your kind of avenues of, or I guess mostly just through the, the, you know, tutorials and samples and stuff. Um, but, but it's been positive in that aspect to kind of really look at my expenses and realize that I was spending way too much money in different things and trying to get more passive sources of income, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I definitely feel like this has been an interesting time uh, for artists because in some ways, like, yes, the whole live show industry got shut down. And it's like, you can't make money that way anymore. But it kind of opened a shitload of other doors, I think, because it's like, all right, yeah, you can't make money on shows anymore, but now literally everyone is on the internet all the time. So it's like, yeah. you know, streaming, Twitch just became like the biggest thing overnight. Splice is like fucking popping off so hard and like, you know, yeah. so many ways to make like i I don't i'm surprised that the floodgates didn't open up even harder on sample packs you know yeah and and all this stuff is even once shows get back it's if you can put out sample pack and stuff it's all we'll keep adding and just 
be passive incomes for hopefully many years, passive income for mostly for years to come. And there's so many different ways to make money on music. Like I, I recently, this kind of helps um, give me a cushion for COVID. I recently um, like auctioned off some of my music royalties to a company that buys or buyers like kind of basically buy not the rights to your music, but the rights to the royalties for your music. So I did that uh, about two years ago, auctioned off like 50% of like some of my old catalog and kind of just got a lump sum. And there's options like that, that I, I think are, it's in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have done it, but it gave me, I'd rather have that money to live on than go kind of endanger people's lives. You know, there's, there's options. Wait. I had no idea that this was a thing. So like you can hit up a company and you can be like, all right, I have like all these tracks that have made this much money over their lifetime. Um, going forward from here, you can take 50% of the money that they earn if you give me like X lump sum upfront. Yeah, so basically, um, so they, they it, it was a company called Royalty Exchange and they reached out to us and I had had a few friends that had, um, done it and they auctioned it off to basically investors and um, you know in the long run 100% um, I would make more money from keeping the rights to the royalties but I kind of just wanted a lump sum and yeah basically they get um, 50% of all no licensing stuff but all streaming and everything um, they get 50% of the revenue from those songs and yeah i think it's calculated based on like past numbers and stuff and you know you get kind of screwed if like some of the songs like start to do really well or whatever right. um yeah this is like investing in stocks or some shit it is and it makes sense for investor like the whatever investor bought mine i think it, it'll take a bit but after like eight years or something he'll have like made back the money that he um bought the rights for it and then it'll just be you know a uh, income source um that's insane. So like somebody who like potentially has n like never given a shit about music in their life or like doesn't know what the fuck they're doing with music or anything is now taking 50% of Minnesota songs. Yeah. Like yeah. And it's, well, it's a, not all songs. So it basically was like my catalog from like 20, I think probably like 2015 to like 2010, a good chunk of those songs and not even all of those. And, um, yeah, they don't have rights to any of the music. Like, they can't like change anything about it or like. Right, do they just else they with just them. take fifty percent of the streaming royalties. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Can, and can you yeah. say like what the lump sum was for that amount of catalog, or would you be uncomfortable saying like just what even the range was or something? I'm just very curious. Well, I'll say the range for. I'm not gonna say how much I got, but like, for a lot of the the auctions on there start at like around fifty k and go up to like. You know, for even sums with single song um, auctions, go up to like 300, 400k. Um, so, and and it varies. Um, it varies from like some auctions are for just one like track where you buy like 25% of it, but it's like some hit track to like random electronic artists like catalogs and stuff. So it really varies. You can it's called royalty exchange. You can kind of like kind of see like what's on there, but. Um, yeah, in hindsight, I, I don't know if I made the right decision doing it, but also it that's part of the money that kind of like helped. Um, I haven't had to like tap into it for this because I've been able to kind of make the other streams of income work, but there's just, it's just an example of one of the things you can 
Yeah, it's like something you can do instead of like giving people COVID. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally. Just, I mean, I think it's worth doing instead of doing indoor shows and fucking up people's just, health. It's just weird how many different things you can make, uh, make money from, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I've never been approached for anything like that or heard of anything like that. I mean, like my streaming is like for songs, it's kind of shitty. Like I make about 500 bucks a month off music streams, which is like low as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's not like my main source of income is like website subscriptions and YouTube and Twitch and like all this other shit. I was curious, like how does like I'm I'm familiar with like the pay rate for Spotify for tracks. How does that work with like podcasts? Like when you like when I listen to your podcast, I listen to it on Spotify. Is the pay rate higher for a longer thing like a podcast versus a song? It's a good question. I'm actually not sure. Uh, yeah. So basically, as far as I'm, yeah, I don't actually know where all the stream royalties even go for the podcast. I, I know the main way that we make money for this podcast is via Patreon. And gotcha. essentially like the thing that Patreon or patrons get for signing up on there is they just get to listen to these episodes earlier than the general public. Okay. But I don't, yeah, it's a good question. Surely there is streaming royalties going somewhere from these episodes. And they might, I feel like the pay rate has to be, because I mostly, like, I feel like now I mostly just listen to podcasts and I listen to most of them on Spotify. Um, and it's obviously, they're an hour long versus a few minutes. So it must pay like a little, or it has to be substantially better than a song, you know? Right, because they can like show a lot more ads during it and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. I'm going into the monetizing area on Libsyn right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. It, it says you can opt into an advertising program to monetize the podcast, but I don't think and, they've done that. And that's, will they like tack in like a random audio, like advertisement into the audio of your podcast, do you think? So I think on Spotify, it plays as like a separate thing, you know, like you'll be just listening to a podcast and then it would just like start playing like a one minute. I add or, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess you have to opt into this and we just haven't. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, it's that, that is sort of like a YouTube video in that way, right? Where you have to turn monetizing on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thing. Yeah. I, I like your podcast, man. It's just like there's a few other like audio ones or like music focus ones I listen to and I, I just like your podcast because there's not like a long intro it just like gets to the point and also like the audio is always like very clear like I, I listen to I listen to a few podcasts where it's like just the zoom recorded audio or something like that and it's like really grainy and it's nice to listen to your podcast because you seem to like care about that kind of stuff oh totally yeah so when one thing uh when I when we started quarantine I was like oh man I don't want to do any podcasts because like I don't want to leave it up to you know, the other person to have to record their audio and shit. It's going to be like such a mixed bag of quality. Yeah. Uh, but then I thought about it. I was like, man, you know what? Like most of my friends and shit probably have like real nice mics and stuff. Like it's, I, I'm probably like in the exact right industry to do podcasts online, you know, like every, like, it's not like I'm talking to, you know, uh, theoretical physicists and like, you know, people who work in like biology labs and shit like that who, you know, talk about really interesting stuff, but probably don't have access to like a fucking Electro Voice RE20 and like a universal Apollo like twin sound card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. 
so yeah, it's been, um, it's actually worked out pretty well. And at this point, I mean, I've done more podcasts remotely than I had in person now. Like I think the first 20 something episodes were in person and, and now the last like 50 or 60 have been remote. So yeah. And you, I feel like you can't tell. And, and then, yeah, it's just nice that you just, I feel like a lot of podcasts just have like kind of long intros and I have to like go skip through it to find like where the interview actually starts. It's nice. You just like kind of get to the point quick, you know? Yeah, well, that's how they're making money, right? It's like they're being like, hey, are you a person who needs to hire people for your business? And do you also need underpants and a mattress? That's true. I guess it's because <laughs> you don't like do as many advertisements. So I guess it makes sense that I appreciate that. Yeah. Have you, have you seen that tweet? It's like, um, I think the tweet says something like, I like who podcasts think I am a person who hires people who also doesn't own underpants or a mattress. <laughs> no i haven't seen that oh that's great <laughs> yeah it's always it's always the me undies ad and then like the uh i guess there's been some sava ads and well the... there's have you heard have you listened to like uh songs song exploder before yeah I, I love that. yeah i really like that one i love that podcast but it's also like such a short podcast for them to have like have like so many ads before it and i understand like it, it it's you know it's cost money to make the podcast but it's just tough when it's such a short one and it feels like half of its advertisements you know mm, yeah that's true yeah it is kind of annoying but yeah uh that's i guess that's like money i guess yeah yeah exactly when i think when you sit there thinking like man how do we get all this like good content for free and yeah. also sort of sitting there listening to 10 minutes of ads it's like there's your answer yeah um, that's yeah that's true you, you listen to <laughs> sam harris um no I, that name sounds I, I think you've probably mentioned him in your podcast before yeah i'm a big fan of him also um reply all is another podcast yeah I really like yeah listen to reply all um yeah recently it's been a song exploder and then like like the thing i'm obsessed with now is mountaineering for some reason so i've been listening <laughs> to mountaineering podcasts i don't nice. know why how did yeah. like how does a mountaineering because i've thought about listening to mountain biking podcasts before and I've like kind of looked into them a little bit and I'm like, this doesn't seem as interesting as just like watching a YouTube video on it or like actually doing it. Cause like, what are they going to do? They're just going to be like, so I went mountain biking and uh, there's a lot of dirt and I went around a berm and it's like, I don't want to listen to someone talk about that. I want to like see it happening or do it. But yeah. I, mountaineering works. Cause it's like, um, it's like more of like a story. Like it's a longer thing and it's like their journey to get to the top of this mountain and all the shit that happened. And the one I listened to, it's called like, the fern line or something he it's like it's just nice to fall asleep too because he plays like mellow music and it's just these like people from alaska telling these stories of them climbing up mountains <laughs> sounds pretty sick actually it's pretty great <laughs> actually i listened to one podcast once that was a story of a guy who was working on a spaceship in the middle of space and um that was pretty crazy he was talking about how um every 45 minutes the sun would go behind the earth or whatever the sun would go away and yeah. he uh it would just be like so black that he couldn't see his hands like in front of him at all and he was like trying to work on this spaceship in the dark for like 45 minutes and then like it would get like so light and so hot for like the next 45 minutes where it's like so bright that he can barely see his hands and like he's just working so he's like i was pretty much working on this spaceship for like a few hours in either the darkest or the brightest conditions possible uh, that see that sounds like it'd be really interesting I, I hope i get to go to space one day really you want to oh man like 
aren't you worried that you'll die in space? No, I just I would love to hopefully be able to partake in like just some light space tourism or something, just a quick little trip up, you know, <laughs> like what it's, you know, pretty like a safest commercial air flight or something, you know. Yeah, true. I suppose like if you die on Earth, technically you die in space. So that's true. That's kind of the same thing. I think it's really just the the atmosphere that I'm into. Like, I really like being inside this little uh, the little thin layer of atmosphere around the Earth. I just like to be inside that. Okay. Which yeah, is that... weird that it's like it's such a strange thing. It's like oh, I want to be in like if you look at it from like a huge perspective, you're like, no, I just want to be like in that little layer. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it just would it just would be wild to get to go out a little bit and just see all of Earth and like your view frame but i guess you know we travel on airplanes so much and i'm sure if i were to go up in an airplane for the first time at this age that would be like a pretty crazy experience but it's so like normal for us at this point yeah true did you end up flying enough from touring that you got like sick miles and like upgrades all the time and shit i used to like spend a lot of time on like making sure i was flying like only delta so i could get upgraded and stuff but then i kind of switched over to southwest um just because I could get a companion pass, so I could bring my tour, um, my tour manager along with me for free, and also just the flexibility. Southwest, you can cancel flights whenever you want and get the money back. Um, but I used to, when I first started touring, I spent like way a lot of extra money just trying to fly on one airline to get status and try to get upgraded and get more miles. Yeah, I kind of did that with United. It's almost like a, I don't know. It's like a pain in the ass game to play. This is one of the things I hate about touring. It's like, do I have like, the, am I getting the miles and shit? It's like, fuck, I hate playing this game with airlines. And it's I hate it, playing this yeah. game with like promoters of like trying to get a get more money out of the show and like all this crap. Like it's just, it's, it's this whole, like every part of the process is like you're trying to arm wrestle with someone who's, you know, trying to arm wrestle with you basically. Yeah, that's that was part of it. I think I was spending like too much time like, trying to do the flight thing that I I just had to like kind of forget about it. And now I just book the, cause I usually book my own flights and I just book like whatever will get me to and from the destination as, <laughs> that, as quick as possible, you know? That makes sense. That's cool that you are like still at this stage, like do a lot of your financials and book a lot of your own flights and stuff like that. Yeah, well like financials, my dad helps me a lot, but the flight thing is just, it's just easier for me. And I feel like I kind of know how to, I just, I, it's easier for me to just do it than go back and forth with my management to do it. And I have a lot of experience doing it so I can do a better job. Like I book a lot of travel for like my friend group and like my family and stuff. Cause it's like, I do actually kind of enjoy like digging into it and finding like deals and stuff. And there's like with these tours, you know, there's a lot of expenses. So I do put a lot of energy into, there's like a community called like churning where you're like getting different credit cards to get like the different rewards and stuff. Oh, is this and like flight hacking or whatever? It pretty well, kind of. It's more like this is more credit card spend focus. So you know, if you spend a certain amount of money, you get a certain amount of points. And when we have these tours, I'll have like one credit card that's only for gas for the tour bus, and one credit card that's for I don't know, like shipping stuff and and just all that, so I can get as many points as possible and use that for vacations for me and my wife, and just not pay for anything. Damn, that's sick. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've got a few friends who do that stuff, like credit card hacking stuff. It's a it's a lot of it's a lot of effort, and you really have to be on it to make sure it's worth it. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's cool that you still do a lot of that stuff. I think a lot of people assume. Like, here's one thing I get a lot is um, 
like you get a lot of people uh like I, I hear from a lot of aspiring producers right just by proxy of like being the tutorial guy they're like when do i need to get a manager and like you know how do i know when i've made it and like you get uh, a lot of these people who kind of have this idea that like when they reach x that they've made it and that you know that's when everything will be fine and easy for them but it's like 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 you doing it's it's not like uh you get to a point where everything just becomes like easy and and done for you right like you're still doing a shit ton of this work for yourself and yeah yeah there's there's always something to do and like i i've been with my manager my entire career since like uh 2010 and he like has played a big role in like me getting to like where i am um but i just know he has his strengths and there are these small things that i actually do and joy doing and he's really good at like big picture stuff and i'm really good at like kind of both but like i'm i'm really good at like details and stuff and i enjoy for these tours like plan like having a part and planning the logistics and i like i said not much money is being made and i'm the one that's having to pay for the stuff so i want to know and i want to control all of the financial stuff so i can make sure i'm getting like the best deal possible and it takes a lot of time but um if I was making a lot more money than I would and I didn't have to worry about like the, the numbers, I would give someone else the job, but um, I don't, yeah, I don't mind doing it. I can't work on music like nonstop. You know, I have a limit to how much like concentration I can get on that. So I'm okay with like taking up the rest of my time with this, you know, these random kind of um, tasks. Mm, yeah. I'm kind of the opposite. Like the only time, like if I am, taking time off to do these other tasks i'm always like i wish i was working on music really so <laughs> like can you can you go for like a while and just like just work on music like you if if i like delegate a day or designate yeah. a day to working on music and i just like tell everyone around me hey i'm gonna work on music all day like i'll happily work on music for 12 hours straight wow yeah but it's, I... it's uh yeah i often just don't feel um like comfortable doing that because you know like uh, i'll have you know friends and like partner and stuff like that around me who want to do shit and you know i want to like do shit as well and like i, I want a social life too you know i don't want to just be writing all the time but yeah it's very easy for me to sit and write for a long long time that's that's a little tougher for me to like stay focused for that long and i i used to like definitely like try to like and i think that's just me personally i used to try to force myself to do that more and i used to do more of like um like missing out on social stuff and not going out with friends and stuff and as i've gotten older i realized like that stuff is a lot of times more important to like go out and do these things than it is to like try to sit and bang my head in the studio um and that's that would be a like a tip i'd give to like newer people is like don't just like stay like hold up in the studio you got to go like live your life and do these things and you're you're honestly probably going to get just as much done in the long run you know yeah, no, I would agree. And I kind of, I feel that way as well. Like, I, I think I naturally sort of balance shit out pretty well. Um, but in the, like, back in the day, I definitely did not. I was, like, way, way too heavy on the production side. Yeah. Uh, but I I think that, yeah, I agree. There's there's a certain point in the process where you start getting diminishing returns, right? And that's, like, a couple of hours in, really. So it's, like, you might as well work for three hours, like, really solidly, get all you're going to get done, uh, and then... The next like six hours after that you might only get as much done as you did in the first hour that you work like you get it becomes like very you get a lot of diminishing returns in those last hours so it's kind of like you might as well spend them 
doing other shit like you said like flight hacking and credit card hacking yeah exactly <laughs> and if that's what brings you joy yeah might as well do it which it kind of does for me but th- it's always hard because you never sometimes you do like force yourself to do stuff and that's when something comes out you just never know yeah when you know <clears throat> good stuff is gonna come out of your brain it's it's tough <laughs> yeah have you read that stephen pressfield book the war on art no so he talks about um uh, basically the entire book's premise is like you're going to war with yourself essentially to make art and there's like always going to be this uh what does he refer to it as um like something pushing back against you re- starts with an r i can't remember the word right now whatever yeah um uh there's always going to be this like part of you that's pushing back and trying to get you to to not write music or not do whatever art like write, write a book or whatever and he's like so long as you show up every day and like fight oh resistance that's the word i can't believe I can't yeah okay yeah that fucking word <laughs> sometimes i just get stuck on like the dumbest shit i don't know um, yeah so he's like as long as you can like fight that resistance uh every day and show up to work on art then you do have like a way better chance of something hitting right like like you were just saying you never know sometimes you can get in the studio and something can just come out in like an hour and you're like oh shit i just finished a tune I, I need to I need to read that because I have that problem. And the biggest problem I have is like sitting down and sitting down isn't that's not the hard for, part for me. But when I get something good down, that's when I'll like get up and leave. And I think I have this like thought in my head, like I already feel good about today. I've like done something good. <laughs> and the problem with getting up and leaving is that you, you know, once it's been a day or even just a few hours, you kind of lose that. You need to get like as much down as possible when you're in that state because it gets harder and harder to come back and keep that idea together. And now I like, it's still so hard. I still like almost always like get up and go. But when I can, I try to think about it and almost like, like treat it as like a meditation and like just be like, I'm going to sit down and just like forget about everything and try to keep going on this. But it's so easy just to like feel good about that. And then it'd be better just to keep working on that idea and get it as done as possible, you know? Yeah, I feel the same way. It's like if I get a little bit of something done on a piece of music and I really like it, it's hard for me to like not... uh, Well, I mean, so usually the way it works is I'll be like, oh, this is sick, and I'll like work it to death and get everything I can done on it. But then I'll sort of like think, oh, I've put like every idea that I have into this thing. I don't have any more ideas for now. So I'll stop working on it and then I won't work on it for like a few months and then I'll come back to it and I'll be like, oh, I'd, like I'm just not on this vibe anymore. And like a lot of songs don't get finished that way. Yeah. And recently I have been doing that actually because and I used to like I would do kind of a similar thing. And then if it didn't get done, like in the initial go, I just would never like revisit, never finish it. But yeah, recently I have been going back and checking out these ones and actually like then trying to finish them and it's you have to get a certain amount done for that to work like you i feel like you have to get most of the song like structured out and done and then you can come back a few months later and be like oh that sounds good and then like really get into the mixing and stuff um but um i used to just like if the track didn't get done in the initial sit down and initial go at it i would never go back to it you know do you kind of do you kind of do like are you usually like finish a track straight away or do you kind of like go back to older stuff and finish it up later no i never finish a track in one sitting anymore and the reason why is because i feel like uh on every day um 
I'm like always too hyper specific in one area of my production. So like, for instance, today I might be all about like the arm and break or something. So I'll just put way too much of that in the track or like, you know, I'll be way too much about like boosting this one frequency and like running it through a distortion or something like this one technique or something. I'll be like all about it on one day. And if you like too hyper specifically use just one trick over and over again on one track, I don't feel like it takes like a large enough snapshot of like what it is that I do, you know, and, and it just, if somebody is, that's, if that's the only thing they hear of me, they're, they're just going to be like, Oh, he's that, that's what that guy's music is, you know? So I, I'm always trying to make like every track a more sort of like even keeled snapshot of what I do. So that, that can only happen over a series of months really. Yeah. That's, that's the way to do it. Like I, up until like, you know, a year or two ago, I just thought that, if I didn't finish it, like in, and not only just to sit down, but in like working in it on it for the first few weeks, then I, I would never be able to come back to the flow that I had with that. But now it's just way better to kind of get a track or even I'll even like get a track, like almost done, wait a few months, come back, then work on it for another few weeks. And then it's, I think it's done, but then I sit on it for another few weeks and then finally come back and do the like finishing touches. So I can, like you said, like get, as many of just get as much time on it as possible you know but not too much time at the same time yeah do you often feel like sometimes you'll make a track and you'll be like man this does not sound like a minnesota song but then you work on it like a bunch more and a bunch more and then like after a month or two of like coming back and doing sessions on it you're like all right like now it just feels like it has all the shit that like makes it a minnesota song um i i don't know i don't know i maybe a little bit I, I i always just struggle with like if i'm like overproducing it or not um i feel like i usually get like whatever like my kind of feel into it pretty quickly um but the i guess the problem i have with that is when i'm like listen to a certain artist i'm like i don't have this as much at this point in my career but i used to so much would like hear a certain artist or a certain like trend in music and be like oh i want to do that and just like try to recreate that and it just turns into shit you know <laughs> um yeah th th i would have that problem a lot but now i just like really try to like do whatever comes naturally and just get in that flow state and yeah just make something that comes natural to me hmm. yeah quite often i'll make something that's like you know very simple or very distorted or very heavy or like very ambient or something and I'll just be like, it just doesn't, it's just not a Mr. Bill track, you know, like it just doesn't have the shit that it needs to be a Mr. Bill track. And I'll always, I'll get stuck and I'll be like, fuck, I don't know, like what it needs or whatever. But then it's like, just, it just always happens that if I just put enough sessions into it, eventually I'm like, all right, it just has all the elements now. Like it, it just feels very much like a finished Mr. Bill track or whatever, but it, it just, I just can't seem to like get that feeling out of one session anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, yeah, I know what you mean. The thing it, I do get really frustrated sometimes spending like so much time on tracks. Like I've been working on a track recently and I've just been putting so many hours into just like mixing this one, like kind of orchestral, like live instrument section. And I'm just having so much trouble figuring it out. And I'm just like ready to just like get rid of the track. But I don't know. It, it can get kind of frustrating spending so much time on just like one part of it, you know? Yeah, I feel like stuff stuff like that as well. Um, if you just sit on it for long enough, you just end up learning some other technique by doing something else in some other track by accident. 
And yeah. then you come back to these things and go like, oh, that just doesn't have this thing or it like just needs this kind of EQ on it or something. And it just becomes really obvious as to like what, what you need to do to fix certain things. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, dude, thanks a lot for coming on. It's been like two hours now, I guess. Uh, I suppose we had that like uh, a little like yeah. cut out in the middle of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been a really, it's been awesome to like finally have a proper chat with you and hopefully after all this shit happens i hopefully we're all vaccinated by the summer or something so that's what that's what it was originally looking like so i hope so but yeah thanks for having me i've on i think i've listened to most of the podcasts you've done like i i found it like i think early summer and then just kind of went through a lot of the episodes um as i was as i was doing stuff and there's some like there's one where you had i forget their names there it was two guys like audio uh, matt matt davis and anthony Bissett. I, I was, I was actually going to suggest that earlier when we're talking about acoustics because, yeah, they, those guys are insane. I listened to that one probably like three times. And I still need another like listen or two to try to get Dude. some of the information. <laughs> yeah, Matt is the man. If you ever need an acoustician, he's the guy. Did he do your current studio like kind of help mm, you? No, because I built this during COVID. But um, if yeah. I think after I might get him to come out. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he does like Tipper's studio and like, uh, detox unit and jade zakata and like all those guys yeah so yeah he's definitely the man I'm, i'll get him out here to do this one at some stage i think yeah but yeah yeah i appreciate your podcast and yeah thanks for uh, having me on it's good to talk yeah man thanks very much cool man yeah have a good one hey thanks for listening to the mr bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded by robert fumo you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash mr bill's tunes and becoming a patron uh please rate and review on itunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it and all the links to my various platforms are at mr bill's tunes.com thank you I'm a